have this sweet privilege of being encouraged through some amazing speakers these next few days. And that's exactly what's going to happen um, with our first speaker. She is Dr. Daisy Dowell. She's a primary um, physician that specializes in pediatrics at the Lawndale Christian Health Center in Chicago's West Side. She serves in Haiti with Haiti Orphan Project. She brings medical care along with the gospel, y'all. She pairs them together to the surrounding communities. Dr. Daisy serves on the board of directors for the Ibi People's Clinic in Nigeria, Africa, and they are actively planning and building a clinic for their village. Y'all, I could go on and on. What you need to know is that Dr. Daisy Dow has the experience. She has the knowledge. She knows that she is created to do his good works, and she's pressing into it. So will you help me welcome Dr. Daisy Dowell? Well, good afternoon. Was that a great worship time or what? I I just love, love, love to worship. And I'm so honored and privileged to be here um, to share with you all this evening. I just want to uh, just take a moment to just thank God for this opportunity. And can we just pray for a moment? Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you um, have planned for us this weekend, the good things uh, that you have in store for us. And now, Lord, I just bow at your feet. I give you thanks um, for this opportunity, Lord. I give you thanks for the privilege of serving my brothers and sisters and you in this way. Now, God, I dedicate this time to you. I ask that you remove Daisy and that you allow your spirit to stand up big and share what needs to be shared today. In Jesus' name, I lift this up to you and give you praise. Amen. Well... Um, so this morning, uh, sorry, this evening I'll be talking about um, servants in training and missionaries in training, both of which have been seasons that God has brought me through. And if you will permit me, when we get towards the end of this, I'd like to share a little bit of my own testimony. But just for um, starters, one of the things that the Lord has done in my life from the time I was a very young child was plant a love for him and a desire and a compassion uh, for those around me, particularly those who are suffering, and in particular, uh, children. But my training as a servant uh, took some twists and turns, many of which I would not wish on anyone, but I see now how God was at work. And then becoming a missionary was something that was never (laughs) on my radar (laughs) or that I thought I would do. But God has such a wonderful uh, plan for us and such a great sense of humor. And anyone who knows me knows that I love to worship. I love worship music. And every year the Lord gives me certain songs that seem to be the theme for me for that year. And this year one of the songs that the Lord has placed in my heart is called New Wine. And the particular part of that song that really resonates with me is the part of the chorus that says, make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, 
but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. And I pray that the spirit behind that is something that you will grasp as I, as I share. So let's just hop in uh, and, and move forward. So, you know, we're all, if we're believers in Christ, we're, we're all servants in training. We are always learning how to serve others, how to share God's love, how to be a blessing to others all throughout our lives as believers when we're walking uh, with the Lord. But then there are some who are called to a particular work, those who are missionaries in training. And there is a difference between the two, and we'll talk about that. But the thing that they have in common is that we are all desiring to be living sacrifices, whether you're serving as a servant or whether you are going to be serving as a missionary. We want to be living sacrifices. We want to be yielded vessels of honor. And I'm going to break that down a little bit. Um, the scripture tells us in Romans 12:1 and 2 that we should be presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. That's the least we could do. So it says this is your true and proper worship. That's, that's the least we could do. He's done so much. He really, truly is that miracle-working God, and he's done that in our lives. And then we want to be yielded vessels, really, really sold out, committed to uh, the things that please God. In 2 Timothy, it says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some of them are for honorable use, and therefore, and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house. And I really like the way the Berean uh, Study Bible puts this. It says, in a large house, uh, it contains not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some, indeed, for honorable use, but others are for common use. So if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Now, I understand that there are some young people, some some teenagers in the room, some college students, uh, and those are some of my favorite group of of people to to spend time with. So I'm just going to break this down a little bit. So this is Mocha. She's my Shepsky. She's half shepherd. She's half husky. Um, and, And, you know, sometimes I look at her and I think, well, she kind of represents the kingdom of God. You know, she came, her, one of her parents was, uh, was a white shepherd and the other one was a black husky. She's the only one in the litter who came out of a blend of the two, you know, kind of like the kingdom, all, all nations. Uh, and she picked up one eye that was blue and one was gray and uh, brown. Um, but what, what Mocha has to do with this is when we talk about vessels, when we talk about vessels of honor and dishonor, um, or common use. So Mocha's wonderful. She's a sweetie pie, but she has one problem. She can drink up Lake Michigan. This dog drinks so much water, 
Every time you look up, my husband comes in, you all didn't give her water today. We did. If this dog doesn't drink a gallon of water a day, she doesn't drink an ounce. So if I brought Mocha to your house, you would have to find some water for her. Now, you might decide to give her some water in something like this. If you may have had it around, you might even, you know, make her feel like you planned for and gave her something like this. Common vessels. But you wouldn't give her something like this to drink out of. Why? Because those are vessels of honor. Those are vessels that are set aside for special use, just as we are to be set aside and used by God to bring him honor, to bring him glory. We are not going to walk like the world walks. We're going to walk in a way that makes us vessels of honor, carrying the gospel and bringing hope and life to those around us. So let's talk first about servants in training. There are a lot of things that servants need to learn or know in order to be good servants. But for our purposes, there are two things that are definitely for sure. One is that you're going to be a servant in training forever. It's, it's lifelong. And it's a prerequisite if you're going to do missions work. You really cannot become that missionary in training until you have learned how to be a good servant. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. And the one thing that we should always remember, even though the work is hard sometimes, even though a servant is sometimes not treated with the respect that they are due, it is always a privilege and a great honor to serve. You don't have to be called to serve. The Lord doesn't need us. He allows us to come alongside and to be part of what he's doing. And it is a great honor. He could always have chosen someone else. And this is something that I once heard uh, Pastor Toledo from Chicago Tabernacle say, and it really resonated with me. He talked about how Jesus was at the wedding and he turned water to wine. And it was the servants who got to see the miracle. He said it's the servant who gets to see the miraculous. If you want to be a part of what God is doing and really be present to see him move, you want to be in the group with the servants. It's the servants. The wedding guests sitting out at the tables, they didn't see what happened behind the scenes. But the servants who moved in obedience and brought the water got to see the miracles. So when you get discouraged or you feel like somebody's treating you in a way that um, you ought not be treated when you're trying to serve, just remember that. Be encouraged. But there is a process. So let's talk about that. There are a few things that you need to be a good servant. You need to be Committed. There must be a commitment uh, to serving the Lord. Otherwise, the first thing that goes wrong, you, you want to, you know, you'll tuck tail and run. Secondly, and this is so important, we must make altar a priority. A lot of things happen at the altar, meaning on your knees during that prayer time. That's where we get our clarity. 
that's where we get our marching orders because sure as shooting, when you try to do what you think God has called you to do, your enemy is going to show up and try to distract you. But when you're clear about what God has called you to do, because you've got your marching orders from having spent time on your knees at that altar, making it a priority, we never want to get so busy serving that we don't have time to get back to that altar. That's the fastest way to get in trouble. And so a good servant must always make um, the altar a priority for them. Elisha uh, is one of the prophets in the Bible that we, we read about. And I think that he heard clearly what the Lord wanted him to do. And his commitment was so strong that when Elijah came by and put his mantle on him, Elisha actually slaughtered the oxen that he had been using. There was no going back. He was all in and he was going to be uh, walking and doing what God called him to do no matter what. Watchman Nee um, is a giant in the faith. He's, he was a, a Chinese pastor in the early 1900s, and he planted a lot of churches across China, but he also served as missionary because he went all over places to Shanghai, but he also uh, even went to Europe sharing. And one of the things that uh, Watchman Nee said was that oftentimes as believers, we get it all mixed up. We think Christianity is all about doing, doing, doing. But actually, it's about walking in what's already done, what God has already done, and, what, um, and being a part of that. So not with so much of a big do, but with a big done. And sitting at the altar and sitting at Jesus' feet is where we can learn to rest in him and receive what we need. So we've been invited to really just sit and enjoy uh, what God's already done. We don't have to set out to try to attain or save people ourselves. We can't do that. We need perseverance. I kind of talked about that earlier before. You need the ability to just be obedient, come what may. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And that is so true. I'm sure many of us can think about times when that's happened. We need humility and selflessness. We have to be able to devote the time and energy that we need um, to fulfill our assignment and to come alongside people who are already experienced, who can help us uh, on our journey. This next one is really important, um, being a discerner of times and seasons. You know, sometimes we, are, we think that it must be the devil when we feel like we need to just be still. We want to go. God, I think you're calling me here. I think I should be doing this. But really he's saying, you know, the elders in our community say, you need to get somewhere and sat down, okay? God is saying, no, it's not time. But we want to go and go and go. So we need to be able to discern when he's telling us to go and when he's not telling us to go. Lastly, we need to be able to cultivate patience. And that's really hard. Like, you're ready to go. You, need, you want to hear from God. And it just seems like he's just taking his sweet, precious time. And you're ready to roll, and he's, he's not quite ready to do that. Sometimes he needs us to just sit in our suffering 
and sit and wait for him before we step out so we don't get into trouble. Now, all uh, faithful servants um, were sits first. I mean, they were servants before they um, really went out. And so just looking at some really faithful examples of some really faithful servants, um, we, many of us know about Joshua. He um, succeeded Moses uh, in terms of leading the children of Israel. And then, you know, there was Joseph, who also was servant uh, to multiple people, including uh, the pharaoh in Egypt, and ultimately God used him to, to work a great, uh, a great deliverance for the people of Israel. And then there is Elisha, who I mentioned before, who, who followed in Elijah's footsteps. And he was all in, committed, and honored, and was faithful um, to the Lord. But I'd just like to pause here to, to talk a little bit about this guy, Gehazi. Many of you may know about him, but he's an example of what happens when we don't follow God's calling and we allow the enemy to come in. So Gehazi actually was um, a servant to Elisha. And we, we read about him uh, in Second uh, Kings. But um, Gehazi was a person who really didn't know how to use power well. I mean, we've all worked with people, and sometimes even in the church, uh, who have maybe for the first time experienced having some power, and they have not um, necessarily used that well. But he did. He he abused his power. He was one of the people you had to go through to get to um, Elisha, and he would he abused that, and he mistreated this Shunammite woman who had actually she and her husband. Uh, prepared a place where um, Elisha could come and stay when he was traveling through and God had blessed him with a son who um, had become ill and died. But um, Gehazi kind of pushed her away and, and she was trying to come to, to speak to the man of God to get help for her son. And then he exhibits this spirit of greed. You know, one of the things that plagues even our churches these days um, is this the spirit of greed? You know, the sheep get fleeced <laughs> so often; it, it's just heartbreaking, and God is not pleased with this. So, what happens here is that Naaman, who was um, a mighty ruler, he had leprosy, so he came and he needed uh, Naaman. I'm sorry, he came and he needed to be healed. And God graciously healed him. And he wanted to give something to the man of God, but the man of God would not accept it. And he sends Naaman on his way. But Gehazi decides he's going to go chase Naaman down and, you know, get a little something-something from him. But God did not tell him to do that. And he went and he, he did this. And this was not just uh, a problem for Gehazi, but the Bible tells us the way he did it, you know, he's trying to do this on the down low. He knew he was wrong because he told his servants, you take this stuff and go hide it, Uh, put it in my tent. And then he went to the man of God and he lied about having it. Uh, Now, Elijah asked him, he tried to give him a chance. God will give you a chance to come clean. He went to him, he tried to talk to him about it, and he lied. 
um, and said he hadn't been doing anything. But God will not tolerate our mess. And he loved this man enough to discipline him. And trust me, God will discipline us when we get out of line with what he has to do. And uh, Gehazi ended up with leprosy um, like Naaman had had. He didn't have integrity. He lied. And it was important that God disciplined him because he was training servants. He was a servant in training, and he had servants under him. And if you want to see your ministry go sideways, let those who are in leadership start drifting away from what God has for them to do. And it won't be long before it trickles down and the whole organization is, is rotten. So these are really just serving as warnings for us. So once you've accepted and allowed God to help to create your, cultivate your, your heart as a servant, um, and you feel that God has called you to serve on the mission field. Now, we're all missionaries. If, if you're a believer in Christ, you're supposed to be just telling other people and making disciples. I'm not speaking of missionaries in that general sense. I'm speaking of missionaries uh, in the sense of those who have answered the call of God who were sent. Now, some people just get out there and they wonder why they're having problems. It's because they weren't sent. They just got up and went. And there's a whole difference between being sent and then you just got up and went. And then when you get out there and it's a mess, you want to ask God, you know, to bless this. And you feel in some type of way. And God is standing there looking at you and saying, nobody sent you there. You know, you want to bring me in later to bless your mess. I didn't send you there. Um, So we're talking about people who really have answered the call of God, who really were sent, um, and who have spiritual maturity. I'm not saying that young people or or people who are new in Christ who are developing their faith cannot go to the mission field, but in order to truly thrive and be successful on the mission field, you will need to have some spiritual maturity. So that means you got to learn how to walk, okay? Um, And you have to build some endurance. Okay, so let's just drop anchor on these first two. Um, The Bible talks about walking worthy of our calling. What in the world does that mean, to walk worthy of our calling? It means that we are living out our lives in such a way that it brings glory to God and that we are being who God has called us to be, walking in integrity, completely sold out to him, and making whatever we do that we making sure that whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. We cannot, I know it's very cliche, people often say this, but it's true that our lives are often the only Bible that many people will read. And when we have difficulty connecting and getting people to come to Christ because we're living raggedy lives, then we dishonor God and we dishonor the office that he's called us into. We want to cultivate a habit of doing whatever it takes to please our Savior and to bring him him glory. And it means that character counts as well. We need to be able to build endurance. I mean, you've got to weather some storms. 
You're going to have to suffer some. People don't want to hear this, but it's true. You're going to have to go through some things. It helps us to be able to stand when the storms come. And again, we need to be able to discern the times and seasons. There's a time to go. There's a time to wait. And we don't want to get ahead of God during, uh, with those times. So um, in Ephesians 5.1, it says, We're going to follow God's example as dearly beloved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So we want to be modeling what Christ did. And we walk worthy of that calling. So again, I'm I'm really kind of fascinated with Watchman Nee and his life, and so forgive me for (laughs) the multiple references to him. Um, But what Watchman Nee talks about, too, is recognizing and understanding that we are sitting um, with Christ. He has already prepared the way for us, and walking is just that practical outworking of that heavenly position that he's given us. We're going to walk that out here on, on earth. So I'm a pediatrician, and, you know, we, we have to know a little bit about development, okay, and, and that whole process of walking. So first physical, uh, natural, and then we, we'll talk about some spiritual applications for this. So when parents bring their kids in to be seen, we ask a lot of questions. You know, what can your child do now? Can they sit? Can they crawl? Can they do all these different things? Um, Because many times the first inkling that we have that something may be wrong with that child is going to show up in terms of their development. And so... You know, they, they start off, they roll, then they develop some more trunk muscles. Eventually they should be able to sit by themselves, and then they start getting up, you know, on fours and doing a little bit of scooting, crawling, creeping. And then they come along and they start um, walking with some assistance. You know, you can hold their little hand and they may take some steps or they may cruise along furniture and take a few steps. So they're walking, but they're walking with assistance and they can't quite walk themselves just yet. And something else happens, too, right around that time or right before that. It's something that we call stranger anxiety. So you may have a child who used to go to everybody. Anybody could hold them. You could pass them around. And then all of a sudden, the little jokers start acting flaky. They don't want to. You look at them, they start crying. You come near them, they start crying. They can come in your personal space and mess with your jewelry and mess with your stuff. But if you come over into their personal space, they start yelling and screaming and, and, and crying and acting up. Um, and we call that stranger anxiety. And often that's a signal that they're going to be walking soon. Why is that? Well, some people believe that that was like an inherent kind of a reflex So that, you know, in the caveman days or whatever, if something was coming to harm you and you're going to be out of the sight of your protectors, the the child would need to have a way to call for help. And so then they move on. They start getting where they'll stand kind of by themselves, but they're a little bit shaky, but they're still trying. And then eventually, you know, they'll, they'll let go and take some steps. The same thing is true spiritually. We know that we're ready to walk worthy. We're ready to walk in our calling. When we have 
the humility to seek help and assistance and when we've learned to sit at the master's feet. On our own, through the discipline of prayer, we've learned to sit at his feet and to spend time before him. And then we take some steps and we learn to um, have a little bit of assistance. We're kind of not really ready to go all the way out there, but we're going to take some steps and we're going to take some steps of faith. While we're still holding on to God's loving hand and we're still coming back to our mentors and we're still relying on people who are more experienced than we are to help us cultivate our gifts. And then you got to have a little bit of stranger anxiety. You know, when the enemy's coming, you better know how to holler for some help. You know, we, I got this. No, you don't. You better learn how to call out for some help. It's no shame in knowing when to holler. You can holler and call out for your father uh, when you're trying to get to the point where you can step on out in faith. And then building that endurance, you know, physically. God's really serious about this. If you had a chance, um, you know, look, look this up about taking care of your temple. He's so serious about us taking care of our bodies that he says that if, if we damage our temples, he'll discipline us. You can't, the, the, one of the things the enemy uses to keep us sidelined is oftentimes our health. And we can't and should not be going out on the mission field when we are not, um, physically fit, haven't been taking care of ourselves, because you're typically part of a team, and they're counting on you. And you don't want to have them worrying about you when you went there to help. And now you're there, and you're, you're not doing well yourself. So we got to take care of our temple. And then spiritually, we need to understand the objective. So that comes back to having clear understanding of what God has for us, um, the scripture, this is just a scripture you can just write down and read later, but the Bible says and cautions us to live carefully, to be careful about how we live, that we need to be understanding what the Lord's will is, and so we need to be discerners of times. So this is, you know, I, I like to do a little bit of creative stuff, but I'm not really a writer, writer. But if I could write a book about this past year and what has happened for missions, organizations, and people called to be missionaries over the past year, I would probably call it COVID and the Sideline Saints. So people have been traveling and going all over the world and serving and, you know, short missions trips and all this stuff, and then COVID hit, and, and people were just like, you know, like whole organizations, like, what do we do? What do we do? Um, you know, it really sidelined uh, the saints. We don't want to be taken out of the game. We want to be able to be used um, even if we can't necessarily get on the plane. I've personally been experiencing that this year. My heart has been so heavy for the people of Haiti and what they've been going through and just, uh, just straining at the bit, you know, to, to get over there and to serve and was blessed to... Um, go just this past um, August on an emergency mission trip there. And what I saw when I got there, and I've been there many years, um, really, truly broke my heart. 
But we want to be in a place where we're not so pigeonholed that if we can't go and do the things the way we want to do it, we miss hearing God's voice for other ways in which um, we can be, be serving. And he might be saying, this is a season of rest for you. We need to be able to discern the seasons. God knew COVID was coming years ago. And so it may be a season where he is being gracious and allowing some rest, or it may be a season where he wants us to rethink some things. So let's do a couple of quick um, examples of missionaries in training, faithful missionaries. So, you know, we don't have to think about Abraham uh, as a missionary, but the Bible tells us that he was legendary. Wherever he went, people learned about his God. And even when he sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac, his servant prays and he talks about the God of his master. And then he prays to that God himself. So Abraham was faithful. He would, God told him, get up and leave. He didn't give him all the details. Often he will not. Um, and Abraham got up and went. Where he was going, he didn't know. God was like, you'll know when you get there. Um, so, but he did. He was faithful. He had integrity, and he made God's name famous. Moses is one that most people are familiar with. We don't often think of him as a missionary, but he really was. He he went out into the wilderness, um, and then he came back. And not only did Egypt come to know his God and who he was. But everywhere they went, as they did their 40 years in the, in the desert, all the other nations would hear about their God. And they were known far and wide, and they made God's names famous. And then Jesus, we don't think of him often um, as a missionary. But not only did Jesus go around and make God's name famous and help to point people towards salvation, but he trained up his disciples, and he even sent some out as missionaries. And then, this, this is a couple that um, I recently learned about, and I just am in awe uh, with what they have been able to do. Um, this Alonzo and Althea Brown uh, Edmondson, they actually did a lot of missions work uh, in Africa, in the Congo. He did a lot of teaching. This was at a time when African Americans um, were even less esteemed than they are now. And it was very difficult for missionary organizations uh, to give clearance to African Americans to go and do missions work. But they went and they served for years in Africa, and then they even made trips back uh, to the United States in order to help advocate for civil rights and uh, to help encourage the believers here to, uh, to stand in the liberty that was theirs through, through Christ Jesus. And then there is an example of what happens when we don't bring honor to the name of Christ. And when people just kind of do what they feel like, you know, we can find scripture in the Bible to to support whatever people want to do. Uh, But there was this Society for the Conversion of Negro Slaves 
uh, in the 1800s. And some of you may have heard of this, but they made something called the Slave Bible. So it started out all good. You know, they, they formed because they were going to um, teach the slaves to read and try to make life better for them, if you can make life better for a slave. But anyway, it disintegrated, and they created a Bible where they took out passages that talked about freedom, like the Exodus story, and they highlighted scriptures that um, promoted slavery. And then the Knights Templar. I love literature. I love living history. I just read Ivanhoe, so there you go. Uh, but it made me want to go do some more research about the Templar Knights. And these were uh, as an organization that started um, really to protect people who were traveling to the Holy Land from uh, Europe and also to try to take back some of the control uh, for Christians in the Holy Land. It deteriorated to where they basically could do what they wanted to and take what they wanted to uh, without having to suffer consequences. So we don't want to be like that. Okay, so how do you know you're ready to walk? Well, here we go, quick quiz. Can you be angry without sinning? Can you surrender your rights or your need to be right? Can you endure harsh and unfair treatment without becoming bitter? Can you submit and subject yourself to others? Something went away, sorry. I think they were having a little trouble with this earlier. Um... So I'll let IT come with that. Um, so if you, if you can do those things, then you know that you're ready for that walk. So, you know, when I talk about these things, I'm not speaking from what I've heard. I'm speaking about what I know. And if you would permit me for a couple of minutes, I'd like to share a little bit of my own testimony um, for just some snippets um, in terms of how God has both trained me um, as a servant, which I'm still learning, I'm trying to be a better servant, um, and he has called me to do missions as well. Um, so, you know, God doesn't waste any experiences, none. And one of the things that I often think about is when I was um, a child, when I was uh, six, I was orphaned, uh, lost my my. Uh, parents lost my mother. My father did not want me. He made that clear. Um, And so I ended up living with my grandparents. And in that home, uh, it was not probably a place that kids should be growing up in. It was a very difficult place to grow up in. And at times there were as many as 12. um, You can, yeah, if you bring it up, I'll go on. But um, there were times when there was many as 12 people living in our, our one house, and we had one bathroom. And it wasn't my desire to try to be better than anybody else. I, I, that wasn't my deal. I, I was just a kid. I didn't know. But for some reason, my family felt that I was trying to always be better than other people. I wanted to be smarter. I wanted to be educated. Um, and so they decided that they would put me in my place and break that down. So one of the experiences I often think about, and and I I just rejoice now as I think about it, um, one of the things to put me in my place was it was going to be my job to clean the bathroom. If you can imagine what it's like being the person who has to clean the toilets and do the bathroom cleaning for that many people living in one house, 
um, it was not, uh, it was pretty degrading, and it was meant to degrade me. And I also had a relative who um, had substance abuse problems, and they would, um, you know, avoid in bottles and leave it in the room, and they'd spill over. And another relative um, who always, you know, chewed tobacco, if you know people who chew tobacco, you know, they have these little spit cups, and they get knocked over. And I was always the one who had to come and clean that, because it was meant to degrade me. But it was something in me, and I know it's just the Lord, I just refused to be degraded. And so I decided I'm going to clean this bathroom till it sparkles. And I learned to clean the bathroom until it sparkled. And just this past two years ago, my husband and I um, transitioned to another church. And can you believe that the ministry that the Lord has given us to serve on is the cleaning ministry? And I get to clean the toilets for the glory of God. <laughs> and he doesn't waste anything. And people have actually commented to the director of our cleaning ministry how they've come in on Sunday and they felt the presence of God. Uh, when they <laughs> come into the bathroom. Now that's something to praise God for. He doesn't waste anything. Hallelujah. So what was meant to, to try to degrade me, um, God used and now I get to clean toilets with my medical degree for the glory of God. I go from sterilizing stuff to disinfecting for Jesus. And I tell you, it's a blessing. Hallelujah. I just praise God for that. I'm going to um, just try to advance this a little bit because for the sake of time. Okay. So here we are, confessions of this reluctant missionary. Um, so, uh, you know, God has taken an orphan and called me now to serve other orphans. Why? Because I know what it's like to be out there without family and to be without a place uh, where people love you and care for you and you need to be, uh, you want to be seen and known and loved. Um, God can take orphans and send them to orphanages. Um, serving in Nigeria was something that I never thought I would do, uh, but I do know what it is like to need health care and not be able to receive it and uh, to, to be a person who is without voice. And God has used that to help me understand and to give me a heart for people who are dying for what $10 worth of medicine uh, could have remedied. So we started, um, when I first went, it was nothing but dirt. And um, just recently, God allowed us to finish the building of the first clinic there. And um, people started coming in before we even had it all together. But that need was there. And then at Lawndale, I had a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to serve at uh, Hotel 166, which was a hotel that... Um, Lawndale was managing for um, our, our mayor, kind of commandeered some hotels during the uh, pandemic's height for high-risk uh, homeless patients. And they were our guests um, at the hotel. And it was just an amazing opportunity for me to serve and kind of give back because I know what it's like to be homeless. My second year of college, I, I, I left home when I was 13 because... 
my uh, grandmother of my family felt it was time uh, for me to be sold, which is what we did in our home. And I refused to do that. And uh, my punishment was to not be allowed to go to school, which was something that was very, very important to me. I didn't mind the beatings, but I couldn't take uh, not being able to get my education. And so I ran away from home when I was 13, and I ended up a ward of the state. My second, uh, when I went away to college, um, my foster mom and I kind of didn't see eye to eye. She didn't think I should go to college at 16, 17. I wanted to go, went anyway. She refused to allow me to come back. And so I found myself with nowhere to go when uh, school was out for college. And so I went back to my grandmother's who said she was sorry. And once the money was gone that I had saved up, she left. And so I was staying um, in a really rough neighborhood in Chicago in an abandoned house with no lights, no heat, just basically a squatter. And so I know what it's like to be homeless. And I had a wonderful opportunity to serve adults, even though I'm a pediatrician, um, at Hotel 166. And then, of course, um, the Lord has allowed me to serve in domestic missions at Lawndale Christian Health Center, where we love God by loving people. And um, just being able to serve there and be an advocate in the community and to help our parents um, to be advocates for their children. I absolutely love being in the exam room. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's hard sometimes, but uh, it's, it's totally rewarding. And then lastly, the Lord has taken that little girl who had to struggle and fight for an education every step of the way, allowed her to become a teacher, which was a wonderful ministry for Chicago Public Schools for eight years before he reminded me of my vow to go and practice medicine. Um, And then he allowed me to be a part of uh, the founders for a multicultural Christian school in the heart of the West Side, that's gonna, that looks like the kingdom. This was the first year that we opened, and this year was our fifth year, and God has really just been honoring himself uh, through this. And so all of those experiences that he took, allowed me to go through um, has given me the foundation needed to allow God to use me however he wants so that I don't become a sideline saint. If something happens where I can't serve at Lawndale and as a doctor, I can go clean toilets. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's got a place for you, okay? It's always something you can do. You just have to be open. Um, so as, as you can see, um, I truly have had the blessing of walking through a few seasons with the Lord. And I really feel like at this point, um, I can say with the psalmist from Psalms 34, 4 through 9, that I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant and they will never be ashamed. You will never be ashamed. How do I know this? Because this poor woman cried to the Lord And he heard me, and he saved me from all my troubles. And I've seen for myself that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. 
So my parting words of counsel to you are still from this psalm, O taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Revere the Lord, O you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Can I pray for you? Lord, I thank you so much for the hearts that you've planted in each and every one of the people who are here. I pray, God, that something has been said that will encourage them to stand and to seek you and to do your will. Lord, I just humbly submit this time to you. I've done what you called me to do. I pray that you water the seed that was sown and that, most importantly, that you will be glorified, that the saints of God who are present here will be edified and that they will be encouraged and that something has been said that will equip them to serve you better. In Jesus' name, I give you praise, honor, and glory for each one of them. Amen. God bless you. That's so good. There you go.